Hi there, my name is Paddy Butler and this podcast is brought to you from Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. Kristen Ripenian came to prominence with the publication of her story Cat Person in the New Yorker magazine back in 2017. Causing quite a storm, it is described as the first short story to go viral. She has since published her collection You Know You Want This in 2019, to much critical acclaim. Editor of Ladybeard magazine Madeleine Dunnigan caught up with the author down the line in America. How does it feel in the aftermath? We're now sort of two years on from Cat Person going viral and the book's now been published. How, how does that feel? Um, right now, I feel good. Uh, it's certainly, at the time, um, so much was going on that I it kind of felt like I had to postpone experiencing any of my feelings until I was a little less busy. So there was sort of a first wave of um, intensity and drama and just work um, that, you know, lasted, yeah, for for a full year, I think, in between the story going viral and then the book coming out. And that's finally subsiding so I can both kind of look back and sort of recognize everything that happened and also start looking to the future which feels really good so yeah today I'm happy <laughs> great and because and one of the, the strangest things which I think you've also spoken about quite a lot was that um I remember when it when the story was first published about 10 different friends sent it to me and then I also mm-hmm. sent it to like 25 different people um, <laughs> thank you and but one of the things that was odd about it was people would refer to it as an article or a mm-hmm. piece as if it was non-fiction yeah how did you reconcile that I mean it was funny I think when the story first came out and everything about its reception was unexpected so just having it get published at all in the New Yorker Mm. um so really being a published author for the first time in any significant way plus the reach that it had plus the sort of controversy it inspired um it was just all of it was so surreal and it felt too because I had never had anything published before no one knew who I was there wasn't to me, it seemed so clear that if you knew me and you knew my circumstances, knew where I was, that it wasn't autobiographical at all. It wasn't just not an article, but just it wasn't even sort of deeply rooted autobiographical fiction, right? Like there were just some yeah. really significant differences between, I mean, certainly it drew on my own life experience. It's a very personal story, but no one who knew me could mistake me for Margot because we were just in such different places. And so I think that added to that sense of kind of unreality, but there was also a sort of buffer because it felt as though, well, anyone who's talking about this as though it's true just doesn't is it doesn't really understand where I am at all. And so it's sort of I sometimes think about what it would have been like if I had been, you know, 22 writing about a 20 year old and sort of if that story, as some of my stories are, had been much less sort of process distant, I think it would have been a lot harder. The fact that I had some genuine space from it made it a little bit easier to kind of see when people were talking about Margot as if she were me and the story as if it was a dispatch for my own life, just that I knew, I knew that wasn't true. And there was a sort of safety in that, I guess. Right. And, and just for listeners um, who wouldn't otherwise have known, when it was yeah. published, you were 37 and Margot right. is 20. You exactly. were living with your girlfriend. Margot exactly. goes on a one date with a guy. Right. Um, 
Is that something that you resist in your work, that an autofiction, as it were? Because it seems to me that people read it in within um, a movement towards autofiction and a desire for authenticity in literature at the moment. Um, but actually, it seems that the opposite is true with what you write about. Yeah, I mean, I love, as a reader, I actually really enjoy autofiction. Uh, I'll read it enthusiastically and passionately. And I also know what it's like to kind of forget when you're swept up in something that there is a difference between the author and the character. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I am superior, such a superior reader. I've never made that mistake myself. But I don't, for me, it, it's less, it's not sort of a principled resistance to autofiction as much as just kind of my method for writing stories. Sometimes it seems like the more personal the emotions are and the sort of messier and muckier the space of sort of feeling and experience, the more distance I need to be able to write a story that feels like it works. So there are so many stories, as as I guess you know, in the collection Mm -hmm. that are like straight horror, include fantastical elements or whatever. And I think in some ways those end up being the most personal um, because that's what I need. I need to sort of place it in a different world or be writing from the perspective of a man rather than a woman or whatever in order to be able to see sort of what's going on with some distance and clarity. Let's talk about the collection. Um, It features relationships in a, in a yeah. variety of, in a myriad of forms. Um, uh, what draws you back to relationships between two people? Um, I, well, I guess some of the stories have three people relationships. Um, or, yes, you know, exactly. Two people in a parasite. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, or two people and yeah. their friend game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, in some ways it was a, um, it was a selection decision for the collection as a whole. So when I was putting the collection together, I had a larger range of stories I was choosing from. Um, and I had the, it became clear looking over what I'd written over the past five, seven years that I was really circling around a theme. And then I made, you know, part of the process of, of putting a collection together is sharpening that theme, kind of mm. concentrating on it. Um, so when I realized the stories were trending that way, um, I wrote a few more polished, a few more left out some that maybe otherwise I, I wouldn't, um, I would have included. But I think, I mean, it's, it's partly a virtue of circumstance. You know, I think for me, a lot of my, Many of those stories were written in my late 20s, early 30s. I think your 20s in general are a period of trying to understand romantic relationships, at least they were for me, of sort of sorting through general kind of interpersonal relationships, often in the context of really intense one-on-one romantic relationships. I feel like you sort of, at least I sort of grew up and learned how to be a person in the context of dating and um, romance. And it's just... You know, it's it's what I was thinking about really intensely for a really long period of time in a way that I almost don't know is quite true anymore. I think is as I've gotten a little older, older as I've settled into um, maybe a, a steadier relationship, you know, you do start thinking about maybe like relationships among families or yeah. community or whatever. But for me, that was that was not how it was for most of my 20s. It was really like thinking about, um, yeah, thinking about romance and that kind of really intense dyadic relationship and so I think it just grew kind of naturally out of that I also think in terms of a short story there's an intensity um, 
of a romantic relationship that fits the form really well. I think like if you're trying to write a novel as I'm flailing around trying to do too, you have more space to sort of open up. There's a, maybe you have a little bit more um, ability to look at like the wider web of, of relationships, but yeah. a story like is so compact that I feel like there is a real neat fit between the short story and two people and maybe then a third either person or figure or something else kind of interrupting and, and blowing that relationship up. I feel like yeah. that's a really natural um, match. But as as a tool for that relationship as well. Um, and I like, am I right in thinking that the original title of the collection was You Know You Want This? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you picked up on that. I feel like, um, I feel really pleased about it. Um, even though I think that, yeah, it is, there's an, hopefully there's an edge to it and a sort of ambivalence. I, one of the things I did when I was picking the title is I went through that line. I think it was originally in the first story and bad boy, but I went through and I found there was a place in it, literally every single story where I felt like it, one of the characters could reasonably be saying to the other. And I said, okay, then that makes it, makes it make sense as, as the title story or as the title of the collection. It could go because it, it's to do with um, a lot of the stories is to do with power and the, the imposition of power or the projection of power um, and imposing on others the will of a character. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just trying to understand, yeah, I mean, there's something about a sort of layeredness that I feel like I'm trying to get at in a lot of the stories about power where you want someone to do something, but then you also want them to want to do something, right? Or you want them to want you to do... There's just, I think, often when you dig down deep into really like tight, contested relationships, there is that struggle for power and a struggle for control and sort of a blurring. Also a theme that I think is in a lot of stories, sort of blurring of selves, right? The difficulty of being able to tell the difference between what you want and what someone else wants. Um, And being annoyed at them for like what you think they (laughs) think you want. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. How much? And I feel like that's something I have just only relatively recently become aware of in myself is how layered the sort of stories of other people um, that you have in your mind can be like how (laughs) you've got these really complex three dimensional models Mm -hmm. of other people, what they're thinking and doing, and that are often really, at least in my case, very misguided. Um, Yeah, I think I read, um, I can't remember which of the articles now, but you... We're, we're talking about relationships, specific, specifically heterosexual re- relationships, where women take on the role of translator to like mm. translate. This is what the relationship yeah. means. This is man. This is what your behavior equals. <laughs> yeah. You have intimacy problems. Exactly. You know? Yeah, that kind of that's it's a skill, but it's also a weakness. I feel like it's this sense of, and I think, yeah, just especially for a particular kind of young woman maybe of which I was one maybe still am if a little less young mm. where it's just like you do have a you have that insight it's real right and I think you do it you deploy it or at least I did like not only for your romantic relationships but for your friends maybe with mm. even in the context of your family like the person who's sort of giving advice and interpreting and kind of understanding and playing a kind of therapist role but then the kind of it becomes it's forced to kind of power grab yeah yeah no no carry on 
no, no, a kind of power, a kind of power grab and a kind of like way of, I, I just think that once you start telling a story, it's really tempting to become very invested in that story. And so then the story, I think often when relationships go really wrong or you're really suffering because someone isn't doing what you want, it's because you have this story that just has a kind of emotional weight. Like this person loves me for these reasons. This person would never cheat on me because of these reasons. This person, you know, will do this because of X. And when that falls apart, it's not just that like the thing that you wanted to happen isn't happening. It's that you were wrong in your interpretation of the world. Yeah. And it's really scary. But then the flip side of that is a, is a kind of like sadistic pleasure when it goes wrong. It's like, (laughs) well, I told you. Exactly. I knew you'd be late and you'd right. disappoint me. Right. And here I am disappointed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And a control of the sort of unknown. Also yeah. better to like have the story all laid out in its full disaster than to be surprised by trusting and hoping that everything would go right. Yeah, exactly. Um, this leads on quite nicely to talking about weakness. I think yeah. on, a, on a simplistic level. Um, a lot of men are, are in positions of weakness in, in the collection, in Bad Boy. The friend becomes the couple's kind of sex mm-hmm. gimp, I think I could say. Yeah, yeah. In Scarred, um, the man is a literal tool for magic. Robert in Cat Person is in, is in a position of psychological weakness compared to Margot and Ted in, in Good Guy. Yeah. Um, perceives himself as being seen as weak in the eyes of all mm-hmm. these women. What is the relationship between masculinity and weakness in the collection? Yeah, I mean, I think in what, I mean, I guess the, the way that I thought about it initially was less in most of those, maybe the good guy is a little bit of an exception um, because I think in most of the stories that are largely from the POV of the women, what I'm interested in Maybe it was a little less like, what does it feel like to be a weak man or what might make a man weak? And more a sense, I think, of trying to unearth a kind of covert rage <laughs> and anger mm. in terms of like a will to power. I think it's, the, I, maybe I'll get to answering the specific question in a sec, but like the first half is like the relationship between femininity and weakness. So like a mm-hmm. kind of like choked down, like, or aversion to acknowledging the desire to like punish and hurt and have control and like the belief that you need to sort of like we were saying before like kind of take these kind of side paths to power of interpretation or flattery or you know whatever when there's just this kind of very raw and maybe almost universal desire to control other people that i think men for all their weaknesses can often acknowledge right like and know that it's something that they have to grapple with whereas women i think potentially can sort of tell themselves stories where they aren't feeling that they don't want it and i think in these stories that's unleashing but then again with weakness sort of the flip side of that maybe with ted and and the good guy and a few of the other characters is like there can be a satisfaction in losing control right in like saying oh i don't have any power here i think ted gets caught into that well it's a deferral isn't it exactly like i I don't have any responsibility it's not my fault exactly exactly and i think that the shared kind of the moments where things go really wrong in the stories are where people who are kind of desperate to give away some control meet people who are sort of ready to really seize it and then um things kind of explode 
<laughs> explode they do um exactly I, this let, relating to this kind of power grab and the desire for control i think um sort of is really beautifully if that's the right word um embodied <laughs> by sex in the in the collection and i um i wanted to talk about the way desire and the will to hurt sort of dance around each other and are on this knife edge and also a lot of the sexual practices i mean in um bad boy at least they're sort of uh veering on bdsm and Mm -hmm. then also there's sex that it's kind of like messy and bad and gross um why did you choose to represent sex in this way yeah i mean i don't know i mean i think the easy thing that i have said before and that always both feels true and that like dodging dodging the question is that you know the book people the book looks like it's about sex, but actually it's a book about power. And so like, there are certainly many ways to write sex scenes or about sexual relationships that wouldn't necessarily hold in so directly on these kind of power grabs, these kind of BDSM-esque relationships, but that wasn't the book I was writing. I was writing a book maybe where, I don't know that, I mean, maybe there is no romantic or sexual relationship in which power isn't at least a little bit at play, but I think I was writing stories where that dynamic was like wobbling way off kilter, where like the power um, asymmetries were kind of opening outward and really like kind of spinning out of control. Um, And so I think uh, writing yeah I don't know (laughs) the question of like why did I do it I think it's just I mean it's I I wanted I feel like often when I was thinking when I was writing the stories when I'm thinking about like what mental space I was in where um I wanted to sit down and write them it was often that something was going on in my own life that was like difficult and hard to understand and painful and also messy. And I think Mm. what happened is that a lot of the stories ended up like giving a really kind of sharpened and honed and kind of the stories are messy, but there's something like really kind of pure in the the, like ugliness of the dynamic. Yeah. And I think it's a difference between fiction and, and real life that like by making the situation so extreme, it was like it brought a level to clear level of clarity to encounters that in real life or like even just feelings in real life didn't have that kind of clarity at all. And so like maybe a relationship feels slightly off balance as though the power dynamic is a little off, but there's nothing you can directly point to. And yet in a story, it amplifies and amplifies and amplifies. And then it's bad boy and people are dying and the thing is ugly, but like it captures that feeling of kind of desperation that maybe isn't matched in real life by the circumstances that evoked it. Totally. And um, I wonder if that relates also to um, the sort of echoes of thriller that mm-hmm. um, are in the work and I know that you, you wrote a thriller when you were yeah. younger and I, I spoke to Susanna Moore yesterday uh-huh. oh, who cool. wrote in the cut yeah. about um, sex and desire and sort of like the need of control right um, in the can you talk a bit about the echoes of thriller yeah the, yeah um no, I mean, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, actually. Um, I feel like I've seen a bunch of 
people talk recently um, in essays and just kind of online about like the relationship between like thrillers or like um, like plot and and trauma. Like I think there's mm. one view of the world in which like if you if things are painful or real or like personal to you. Like I think some people very rightly are like the last thing I want is to see that like shaped into like plot and a suspenseful thriller and become entertainment, um, which is something I totally understand, but is the opposite of how I feel. Like for me, the like putting, as I was saying before, the kind of amorphous, vague dread and pain and feel like all those sort of messy feelings that in real life have no shape to be able to put that into something that has a structure of sort of tension and buildup and like explosion and resolve is immensely satisfying. And I feel like the books and movies that I love the most do that. Like they, they, you sit down is like getting on, I mean, the easiest comparison is like getting on a roller coaster or something and like mm. screaming out your terror and then having a bounded place in which that feeling is evoked and then released is like, I just, it's the purest pleasure in the world for me. And oh, I yeah. just think, yeah. And so, so horror, I feel like has always, that's what I would say, I think of it often as, as horror, but I think thriller is the broader category, right? For any kind of, any work of art where um, some of that emotional messiness is like, and smoothed out and shaped in a really like consistent way um yeah and it's not the only way of course that that a work of art can concede but i love it i mean i feel like it's the thing that most draws me to to writing and to sort of storytelling is the shift from shapeless to shaped and kind of like the controlled space for really intense emotions to come out and play that's a beautiful way of phrasing it from shapeless to shaped and I, I completely agree with you I feel like it harks back to just the origin of literature and Greek tragedy right, where, catharsis. Yeah, catharsis everyone had to go and see it because you had to go and see people die and get cut up so you didn't do it in society itself right and Uh, to do it together right i mean that's less more even true of movies and of books but in moments i mean i think that in some ways that's what capperson was this is just this moment of shared catharsis where you're all screaming and then it's like maybe over it's like surprisingly brief this collective shriek but so and it feels so incredible because you're like <laughs> yeah. this this is yeah. my brain here yeah. and everyone's yeah. brain and we're all together right. right um this this relates to um the fabulous elements of your writing mm-hmm. um one of my favorite stories is the mirror the bucket mm-hmm. and the thigh bone thank you me too i mean i just <laughs> cannot describe how much I love it in part because it's like um and I mean this in in the nicest way possible but like kind of pointless at the end like (laughs) you know there is it it's written in this very classic allegorical style we think we're reading a fairy tale um and the moral is just completely perverted and twisted (laughs) and turned on its head um and it relates to something that a line in in scarred Um, which again I love, it says you can't have everything you desire because what would be the moral in that? Uh Do these stories in some way resist morals and resist giving us clean meaning? You know, it's funny because I feel like I've heard people say both things about the collection, like both in a critical way. Like some people are like, these stories are really black and white and moralistic and heavy handed and 
whatever men are bad or whatever. Mm. And then I've heard other people be like, these stories are nihilistic. They have no point. They just exist to make you feel bad. Everything is terrible. (laughs) And it's funny. Like, I feel like I have, for all that it feels bad to be slightly misinterpreted sometimes, I feel good in the sense Mm. that I feel like that's like the kind of blowing apart of that dichotomy is really satisfying to me. Like, I love, I do feel like you can't read a fairy tale in that book. That story is a fairy tale without like the familiarity of the form putting you in a place where you're so ready to like feel the moral, right? And to feel the kind of takeaway. And maybe I didn't think about it this way at the time when I was writing it, but if Cat Person does have this similar shape of like a think piece about relationships, right? Like a dispatches from dating, those also, the form so demands a moral takeaway at the end. And both of those stories, like really play they don't do anything to disrupt that they like set you up completely to expect the moral at the end and yet the moral is just this kind of raised middle finger <laughs> like it kind yeah, of sets leaves them, like, slightly hungry yeah and also just sort of frustrated and yeah. kind of feeling angry and i feel like i they came out it wasn't as though that was something from the outside i was doing to, to make people feel bad it's just that i feel like my own brain like is always hungering for it's that shaping thing again, like, or it's another way that that shaping impulse can work. Like you want, you want experience to like give way to a lesson or a moral. And I think that a lot of the stories have the shape of a moralistic tale and yet are going to leave you in a messier and darker place. And I feel like hopefully when you read all the stories, like, I don't know that I think the book is nihilistic in the end like I don't think if I think if you read them all together and you think about them and kind of put them in the stories in dialogue with each other I do think you might start to like see uh there's something a little richer there but I feel like what I don't usually do is like give the moral at the end in the place that you expect it do you know what I mean that I I think that's brilliant yeah Yeah. and it's also what makes you read on (laughs) and makes you like devour the book and read all of them together because um what's so brilliant about the collection is it it holds these contradictions yeah, with, within you. one one book you know on the one hand you have a line that says I knew I knew life was um more exciting than I had imagined and on the yeah. other hand you have a line that says um what a fantastical place adulthood is <laughs> or like, what a, you know how disappointing um, yeah so contrasting this sort of fabulous element you you described it as psychological think piece i think dispatches from dating yeah yeah, what what freedom do each of these modes of writing afford you um yeah that's an interesting question i mean i i think well i think one of the the thing about the collection and again when you're writing a collection it is over such a long period of time and like they each story comes out of its sort of each story has a slightly different ground that it kind of grows out of but I feel like one thing I've always been and have tried to preserve is like I, I'm a pretty free-ranging reader like I, I just mm-hmm. feel like I don't have a lot of I don't make a lot of distinctions when it comes to what I read I read as much nonfiction as I do fiction I read as much genre as I do literary fiction um, and I feel like the temptation sometimes when you're trying to like hone your craft or like sharpen things is like to 
to like start having things drop off. Right. And I worked really hard to like kind of keep that omnivorousness in reading, which I think I knew was going to result in a kind of like a multiplicity of styles of of writing. Mm. And I think the stories I did, I mean, like I said, there were themes that I wanted to focus in on. I feel like I, my goal always was for the stories to like each story to have the satisfying shape. Like I I didn't want to leave that behind at any point, but I do feel like I wanted to feel as though if the kind of core feelings were similar that I could come at it in a bunch of, in a variety of different ways and to then capture like for me, the, I mean, the joys of reading a collection always, I feel like, are when there's a through line and then a million different kind of ways into those same same yeah. themes. Totally. So. I think you've done it incredibly successfully. Oh, thank you. Um, in the rest of the world, you had it here first. Um, lastly, well, not lastly, but n- nearly, nearly lastly. Okay. I wanted to, I love this line so much. What a fantastical place adulthood is from The Boy in the Pool. Mm. And actually, I, l- I love that story. It's such good, so funny. Um, and I wondered, um, can we talk a bit about the joys and disappointments of adulthood? Is that something <laughs> the collection, it feels like that's something the collection's concerned with? Yeah, yeah. And again, I feel like that's sort of, it's funny. It's funny to like it's to looking at the stories both like as I was putting the collection together and looking back over everything I'd written over a certain period of time, and then now with some distance from the collection itself, I'm starting to see it more clearly. And it does seem, and this is true of every age, right? Like I think I remember I was at a college last week and I was just looking at all the students that seemed so young to me and I was remembering feeling like a college student and like a pure adult like I would not have thought anyone could distinguish me from like a 50 year old you know what I mean I was like oh I'm an adult here I am in adulthood and I still had so much more there was just there were so many so many things ahead I couldn't even have imagined and I feel like with the collection there is a sense that I didn't even recognize at the time that was a kind of reckoning with adulthood and also maybe like ideas of adulthood I think a lot of the stories and one of the things that is a kind of one of the things like I don't know that any of the individual stories like has this as their takeaway but I hope is a takeaway of the collection is a kind of reckoning with like being a particular type of person young woman maybe who is really in love with and defined by stories, right? Like that's the scarred, the, the scarred main character when she's going, mm. that moment that you quoted where she's like, oh, I knew it. Like stories have been telling me all these things are coming for so long. And now like I'm about to step into the part of my life that like has the shape of a story. And I feel like often that is a, is a place of, of danger where it's a place where you're going to see everything kind of blow apart. And for me, like that, if I think about you know, what it was like to grow up. I guess I'm still doing it, but like it was about like testing your stories about the world against the reality of what's there and having to learn, like having to let go of the ones even that you hold the most dearly about, you know, who you are and what you can accomplish and what kind of power you have over people and sort of, I don't know. I just do feel like that is a real kind of, that's a, that is a real theme and something that I do yeah. care about. Um, and, and I think it's such, endlessly interesting. Yeah. And it's such, it's that is the exact feeling, right? Where, because I mean, I even, have I lost it? I'm not sure. You're waiting to step into your story. You're like, yeah. my adult life is going to begin 
Yeah. Oh no, wait, exactly. No. My is gonna begin now. Um, <laughs> and the, and it's actually just just happening. Yeah, just yeah. Happening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I remember I have very vivid memories of reading this. I don't know if you read on the Darkest Rising books by Susan Cooper. They were story just like the classic kind of fantastical, like young child comes into their powers you know like discovers magic and the, it, they were my favorite books as a kid and it happened when the boy turned 11 like he turned 11 on his 11th birthday like all these magical things started happening probably read those books when I was nine and I feel like I looked forward to being 11 like I knew I wasn't going to get magical powers but I just had but this idea of like yeah. 11 being magical and instead 11 was just getting hit by like the puberty stick so hard I almost died and uh. I just was like oh this is it this is what you get instead of magical yeah. powers this sucks and well, I feel I- like that sense of like disappointment and craving is like really in a lot of those stories like are you kidding me like you told me one story and this is what I get oh yeah and I well when I was 11 I actually I declared that I was a witch and I (laughs) made my parents take me to a to a magical commune (laughs) that sounds like a much healthier way of dealing with turning 11 yeah kind of it, it, it reminds me of um um the story with sardines um, uh-huh. with that beautiful description yeah. of, of, well, again, beautiful, the girl who she, like the mom is looking at her and she's like, oh, you're kind of gross. And <laughs> yeah, like you're 11 that. and you're hitting puberty and stop trying to nuzzle yeah. me like a baby. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And there are, it's, it's funny the way that I, it's like the stories are not autobiographical or whatever, but that sense of like 11 year old grossness oh, could not so come gross. from a deeper, rawer part of me. I cannot say how much I enjoyed that. Gosh, really incredible stuff. As always, go to secondhome.io for full events listings. And do sign up for the newsletter at liberia.io, which features reviews and curations to keep you reading the best out there. See you next time.